0: Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada. A sunny Ontario with warmer temperatures, spring on its way, makes us really happy. I hope the same is happening wherever you are. And we are here with episode number 105 of The Yacking Show. This is the show for awakening you to new perspectives for surviving in the changing world we're living in. If you like our show, we'd ask you to subscribe because then you won't miss the next episode with more exciting guests and it helps us get our guests more exposure, which is important. That's enough for me. So it's now time to introduce our co-host, Kathleen Beauvais in Waterloo, and she will introduce our guest. Hi, Kathleen. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Peter, and um, thank you all so very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you, and we love reading your comments, so please keep them coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another special guest. He's coming to us from Florida today. Lucky him. (laughs) Please welcome David Summerfleck. David, welcome to the show. How are you today?
2: I'm very well. Thank you so much, Kathleen and Peter for having me on. I appreciate that.
1: Well, you are a digital marketing specialist. Can you tell our audience a little bit about your background and how you came to work with industry leaders to expand their digital marketing presence?
2: Certainly. Well, uh, basically, I started uh, in digital marketing back when it was still very new in the mid 90s. um, I was still a college student finishing up a degree in English. And I had already interned uh, for several newspapers and marketing agencies while a college student. And I realized that at that time, Uh, they were beginning to look at internet marketing more, more and more small businesses, especially enterprise level businesses wanted to be online. They saw that as a new up and coming uh, medium. So I began to study programming and SEO and content marketing and design back while I was still in college. And then upon uh, graduating from college, my first job was at a, a small Uh, marketing agency. And so over the course of 20, 25 years, I worked at multiple marketing agencies, advertising agencies, publishers. And of course, in between those positions, I would work um, as what's called a freelancer or or individual consultant. I always preferred the term consultant better or more. Um, So that's how I got started. And approximately three years ago, Uh, My wife and I moved to Florida. Uh, My father lives in Florida, about a half hour drive from us. And so that's when I began kind of consolidating and working much more selectively.
0: Wow. So not not only have you been a a digital marketing specialist and still are, but you were also a certified small business mentor for, I think it was 10 years or so. So so what are some of the highlights from that experience, Dave?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I was a certified small business mentor for several nonprofit organizations, often for about 10 years. Uh, One of those organizations is called SCORE, which is a division of the United States Small Business Administration, where... I would be uh, emailed, uh, you'd get emails, phone calls, what have you, maybe three, four times a day on average from struggling small business owners or nonprofit founders or startup founders, just wondering how do we get a grip on digital marketing? How do we finish a business plan? How do we get the funding we need to bootstrap and scale our business Mm -hmm. for accelerated growth? So after, I would probably take a break like every six months or so just to recoup from all the questions and all the emails and everything coming in. And after about 10 years, I felt that, you know, I knew digital marketing, I felt very confident with digital marketing, but I just didn't know if, if I could answer any type of question conceivable about business. And after that ten-year period, I just felt that whatever anyone would possibly ask, I would have some informed viewpoint on that, mm-hmm. on how to answer that query and how to help them. So that really gave me the confidence to become more of a solopreneur, you know, uh, as, a, as a kind of a you know one-person operation. Mm-hmm. And then if I do work on larger projects, I always have a team of four, or, four or five. Um, consultants I could bring in if necessary, but that experience as a consultant, you know, an advisor through multiple nonprofits. Yes, I got to help hundreds of people, but it also gave me the confidence to say, yes, I can be a coach. Yes, I can say that I am an expert and not have any doubt about that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, interesting.
1: So Dave, you I are- think it's very
2: important. Right. I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: You were trained in uh, political campaign marketing and worked on a number of projects. How yes. does political campaign marketing differ from product and service marketing?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, actually, it's very similar. So I went to, um, this was in the early days of the Obama candidacy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was living in Colorado at the time. And uh, I can't remember all the organizations right off the top of my head, but there's uh, an organization called the White House Project. And then there's uh, the Colorado Department of Education. And there's another organization, the Progressive Coalition. I forget what it's called. And they united and put together a consortium for training people who wanted to either be candidates or advise the candidates. And I thought, well, I, I don't really know if I can be a candidate. I, I don't come from a rich family. I don't look like Brad Pitt. I, I, I just, I wasn't sure if I could do that. Uh, so I thought, well, let me be an advisor. And, you know, plus I already had this previous experience in marketing. So that was like a two week period from like 9 a.m. to six or 7 p.m. every day, No breaks. Every day for like two weeks, it was just physically exhausting. And you would take breaks to go get something to eat and then you'd run back. And then at 5 or 6 p.m. or 7 p.m., they would meet at the local bar or restaurant across the street and just keep going. It was was exhausting because I would drive home and you're talking like a two-hour drive, you know, to go home at night. And then a two hour drive back in the morning, this is in Colorado, you gotta be very careful if you go to these higher elevations to make sure you bundle up, right? So anyway, I learned a tremendous amount from that and it was a great experience. And I learned the importance of applying what you learn in marketing to political campaigns, but also to the political candidates. And we compared McCain and Obama you know, who were the two leading candidates at that time. And we compared the narratives and the branding, who was a better speaker, who was a better dresser, who was on all the time, who had more experienced campaign staff advising them. And we would make bets on who we thought would win. And across the board, we all thought that Obama would win. The Republicans didn't like that. They wanted McCain to win. But of course, you know, but we knew um, we knew early on who was going to win on the basis of comparing the branding, the speaking, the messaging, and so messaging is another way of saying marketing combined with branding and
0: mm-hmm.
2: and all of these other component parts. So yes, I did go on to advise about six, maybe seven political campaigns after that. Because wow. uh, mm-hmm.
0: I, I want. Sorry, just just while it's fresh in my mind, thinking about that, when you're marketing a candidate, <clears throat> there's generally only one competitor in, in when we're talking in the context of presidential elections in the u s does that change? the way you think and the way you put your campaign together compared to advertising a Ford car or Ford F-150 pickup where you've got three, four or five other competitors?
2: You know, it's, it's similar, but it's not identical. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of apples and oranges. Um, There are more than one competitor because in the U S you can look at it and say, well, look, it's only Republican or Democrat. You've only got two choices, Coke or Pepsi, but, the reality of it is, is that it, at the early stages of the game, there are people jockeying, you know, okay. you'll have, yeah. you'll have multiple candidates for the Republican sure. or the Democrat. You could have the green party nominee who may get traction if the other candidates are weak.
0: All right. All right. So,
2: you know, and, and you always have other candidates from other parties mm-hmm. wanting to gain traction. Um, so if one party falls through or something like that, or they can't reach their fundraising goals or what have you, or they drop out, you never really know for sure where things are going to head. But in, yes, in most cases, it's Republican or Democrat, very, very likely. But um, it, it's it's similar, but it's also very, very different from how you would market a business over, say, a, a product. Right. There are similarities in all cases. The way I would promote a service is different from the way I would promote a product versus a political campaign.
0: Yeah. And, and sorry to keep hammering, but just on political campaigns, again, you've got the disengaged factor, right? You've got um, whatever that percentage is in the middle who not really concerned who wins and uh, you don't know until the last moment who they're going to vote for. So, so your competitor there is the latest sports event or the Super Bowl or whatever happens to be happening at the time to steal their attention.
2: Right now I have not looked at the statistical data for the most recent election. Um, but prior to that, the I think the participation in actual voting in the U.S. was, I think it was something like around 30 to 40% mm-hmm. of registered voters did not actually vote God. because they, they felt so disenfranchised from the actual process feeling that whoever they would vote for would not be in alignment with their own particular issues uh, that they felt were important or what the problems were that they were facing in their own lives. So that disenfranchisement became a really a very key issue in the most recent US election where both candidates were trying to appeal to candidates who felt that they had been left behind. But usually economically, they don't have the opportunity that they, they believed would materialize. Right. You know, and, and that's typically why midterm elections are usually they usually go in the reverse. Reverse. So team, yeah. so if Trump had won re-election, then the midterm election would go toward the Democrats. Right. If if it were Biden, then the midterm elections would typically go toward Republicans. So they swing back and forth because both Parties are going to feel, look, I don't have the job opportunities. Healthcare is still uh, a, a total disaster in the U.S., in my opinion, compared to other countries. We're the only major industrialized country that has no national healthcare service. And I don't think they ever will uh, because it's already established as, as part of but the part of it, What it is,
0: yeah. Sorry, I've gone off on the political angle. I know Quite all right. Going to take me to task here. Sorry, I mean, you 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 go for. What do you want to ask? Uh, uh,
1: well, I Dave, can you tell us about your the two books, The Road to Digital Marketing Profits and the Illustrated Guide to Digital Marketing?
2: Yes, I was looking around to see if I have a copy uh, on the floor somewhere that I could pick up. There's a copy over there in my bookcase, but I can't reach there. But um, basically, The Road to Digital Marketing uh, Profits is a book I wrote because I kept getting the same questions from small business owners and nonprofit organizations through SCORE and other nonprofit organizations, people looking for help and guidance. I was getting so many of the same questions day in and and day out after years and years. So I thought, well, let me put together a book that attempts to take you from the beginner's perspective. So, what's a good metaphor to try to make it more palatable and more fun? So, I thought, well, you're getting on a trip to drive from point A to point B. Let's talk about metaphors to try to frame the conversation so we don't intimidate people with this technical jargon. So, There's a GPS. You don't want to drive or get in your your vehicle without a GPS or at least a map. You want to make sure you have a full tank of gas. You want to have change in your car for toll booths. You don't want to pick up scary looking hitchhikers without knowing who they are first, you know, and vetting them if you can. What do you do if you go down a road with no gas stations and you're on a quarter of a tank? So we use those types of metaphors Mm -hmm. to frame the digital marketing conversation. So in that process, I introduced terms and concepts that are very important for small business owners or business owners period, SEO, e-commerce, content marketing, content repurposing, uh, paid advertising, which we call PPC, responsive design, on and on. So we talk about all of these concepts as well as the larger concept uh, of cause and effect, which you could say is spiritual, you could say it's practical mm-hmm. as well. So we and we go through that until we get to the final destination. The final destination being you're fully informed, but you also have a business plan that you can now take with you to a bank or credit union um, and show them, hey, if you give me this loan that I'm applying for, I know how to use digital marketing effectively I've done my homework. I know who my ideal clients are, my market, my SEO. I know who I can delegate work to effectively and why. I know what my key performance indicators should be and so on. So the Illustrated Guide to Digital Marketing is a similar workbook, but it's much more, more, uh, I don't wanna say it's more fun, but it's much, much more visual. Mm -hmm. Some people like to learn visually. So it has many more infographics and charts. We talk about design more. We talk about the pyramid, inverted pyramid, uh, what they call funnel design structure. So we show graphics and infographics about how to tell competent professionals from people who are just going to take your money and run with it. So it's a little bit different, but it's much more visual.
0: That sounds really well, good and, and a good resource for small businesses that are struggling in those areas. So, and we'll be putting links for those books to our audience up on the video and in the description so you can get hold of them. i got one for you, and this is one we ask many of our um, experienced business guests. So in, in your, you've had considerable experience with large and small operations, both profit, non-for-profit, political. So you've probably more experience than most. What's the most important characteristic do you believe that sets the highly successful apart from the average, be that a company or a, a manager or an entrepreneur? What's the one thing that you see makes the huge difference?
2: I want to, I, my, my, my response to that is actually very short. So I want to preface it by saying, after talking to hundreds of business owners of every imaginable type one of the reasons why I stopped doing it, I mean, I'd still do it through maybe one or two nonprofits, but nowhere near the level that I was mm-hmm. advising before, was that it actually became sad for me on a personal level because I would see so many businesses, especially nonprofit organizations, who I really wanted to see do well. And I would see them disappear one by one by one. Almost inevitably, I would say 99.9% of the ones that I spoke to or had consulted with are long, long gone. The ones that made it that are still around today had commitment. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: the commitment sounds like a catchphrase, but it's really not. Here's the thing I've had, I had two businesses of my own. I had an LLC nonprofit marketing agency that I had while I was still, you know, working as a a solopreneur but also while I was working at several agencies just because I wanted to make additional income on the side. So I'd be working with clients while I was working full time. You you could not possibly drink enough caffeine to keep up with that. (laughs) And I did that for several years until I just said, this is overwhelming, I've got to focus more. But, um, and I had a nonprofit organization that was absolutely a horrible experience. I was audited every year we were in existence. Uh, We broke even. That was the best. We broke even. That was good. But what, when I talk about commitment, I mean, it's putting food on the table for your family. You know, we're not going to not be able to pay the mortgage. It's non-negotiable. Mm -hmm. not not having food on the table that's non-negotiable if you have that attitude and it's that expression close to the bone that this is real to you it's not a hobby it's not something you do for fun because you enjoy it or what have you those are all great very important elements but if you look at it as something that this supports my family they're counting on me to pay the mortgage to make sure they have enough food to eat then it's real to you. And when you have that skin in the game, you're committed. The idea of spending $3,000 so that you can make $30,000 in six months is not that big a leap. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's a hobby and you're not fully committed or it's just an idea and you haven't formed the LLC yet or you know the, the incorporation or, or the 501c3 status, if you haven't done that yet, and you don't have any employees, you haven't been around for at least a few years, it could still be in that hobby phase where a lot of people are still at that, that, that level where they're not fully committed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So once they're fully committed, then you can step in, you can help them. And it's sad to say, but the more, the more pain that they're in, often the more willing they are to actually do, uh, do something about it take the commitment. You know, uh, is it okay if I digress for a minute? Of course. Yeah. Okay. I remember going once I had to have a root canal. If you've ever had a root canal, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's not something you clap your hands over. And uh, anyway, I wanted to go to the best dentist in the area where we lived because I'd never had a root canal before. I was absolutely terrified. And I wanted to find someone who I felt was really good. So I looked up the richest possible neighborhood in my area. And so I found it. He took my uh, healthcare plan and we got on the, you know, registered, made the appointment and everything. I went in there, it was a young dentist, young guy. looked like he was in his mid 20s. And he was like Arnold Schwarzenegger, all built up and everything. And I said, Oh my God, I've never had a dentist who looked like a male model, but looked like he could bench press Peoria. And I said, what in the, you know, but I took him aside. And I said, look, I need to talk to you man to man, look me in the eye. And I want you to tell me that you're confident doing this, but I also want you to talk to me like I'm a human being, not like another number. And I also asked him, cause I was so nervous getting the root canal and I wanted him to set my mind at ease. And anyway, we started talking about do it yourself. And that was my larger point. And I said, you know, I get a lot of do it yourself people in what I do. Have you ever had do-it-yourself uh, patients come in here? And he said, he took out a clip. And he said, yeah, actually I have. And he said, I've had people come in who use butterfly clips and, and paper clips and super glue. And, uh, and I said, no, come on. He said, no, I'm, I'm not kidding at all. And he said, I understand why they do it. They're very afraid they don't have a lot of money, but he said, but you got to understand it's going to take me double the time, double the work to undo what they did. But in many cases, they have a lot of very serious infections. There's a lot of swelling. Now I have to remove what they did. In some cases it's massive, you surgery that we have to undo it's more serious than it, you know, and but i remember him telling me that and and i and i actually uh, played a prank on my wife when he was like halfway done i was so full of novocaine i said which way is my wife (laughs) i I couldn't find her i said point me in the direction of my wife and i was so doped up on novocaine and painkillers and my teeth were like you know, down to like little nubs. So I went over, my wife was reading very studiously and I tapped her on the shoulder and I said, hi honey, and I smiled ear to ear and she nearly jumped out of her skin. <laughs> and then they had to lead me back. They led yeah. me back to the, to the chair. But long story short, basically what I tell clients is that you know, if you think that it's expensive to grow a business, if you think investing two or $3,000 is just too much, you could never imagine doing that. Imagine, you know, going to going to an amateur and the damage that could be done to your business that way. Mm-hmm. So imagine, you know, the cost of do-it-yourself with the dentist, with the plumber, if you've ever tried to fix your own, you know, plumbing or tried to fix your own car you realize that you know spending a few hundred or a few thousand, depending on what the problem is, is actually a bargain because now it's over. So for business owner, you can focus on managing your business, mm-hmm. not trying to wear 10 other hats and running around in 10 different directions and wondering why nothing's really happening.
0: Wow. I I've got to tell you that um, we asked that question of a lot of successful business people and there's, there's not many factors that come up in the answers. And I, I would say the, the three popular, most common answers we get are, are commitment. Your one focus is a huge one and perseverance. And I would, uh, say,
2: I would say that the focus is really meaningless. If you don't know what it is that you want. Sure. Uh, and all, but well, let me rephrase that because the focus First, you need to know what you want, then focus on that. But number one at the very top is commitment. And there's a quote that illustrates this point very, very strongly by uh, Henry David Thoreau, who you may be familiar with. Mm -hmm,
0: Very much so, yeah.
2: And he said, Build your castles in the air, for that is where they belong. Now put Mm -hmm. your foundation beneath it. Beneath it. And it's a very powerful quote when it comes to business planning and organizing uh, what you're trying to do. So for example, before I can, I've learned from experience, before I can help a potential client, I first have to get clear on what have you already done by yourself? What have you already done with other people? What are your priorities? What are your major, most important, most Mm -hmm. pressing, urgent goals versus your long-term goals? What are your wants versus your needs? You know, we have to work these details out before we can begin. Or you end up in that perspective where from a digital marketing perspective, you have your website up but it's not attracting any leads. So we need to take it down. Now we need to write new content. We need to rebrand it. We need to make sure it's responsive so that it works on all types of devices. So rather than have to go through all of that, let's collate all of this information first so that we have our organized plan. Mm -hmm. It's like going to the grocery store with no grocery
0: list. Yep. Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, what am I going to get? I'm going to get all pizza and hot dogs and donuts. But if I have a list, I'll make sure that I get everything that we actually need. But I'll also know the quantity and work within a very specific budget. And in Florida, you don't want to get too much frozen food <laughs> before, right before hurricane season and so on. So you're more organized and you're more deliberate.
0: Sure. Sure. No, thank you for that. that that's good. And good value for our listeners and our audience. Kathleen, back to you.
1: Well, we're running uh, short on time. So how do people contact you?
2: Certainly. Um, Just go to www.dms.blue. Those are my initials. It's what I do as a digital marketing specialist, and it's my favorite color.
0: Ah, Ah, I wondered where the blue came from, and blue shirt, and I've got a blue shirt, too. dms.blue we will put that there. We got literally two minutes, and there's a, a very last one. Given the, the political changes and the virus, what, yes. what do you see on the economic uh, horizon, say, looking five years out?
2: Well, how can I say this in two minutes? Well, basically, if you look at history as an indicator, everything that's happening now or has been happening, let's say for the last year, happened about 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think the president back then was, Wood, was it Woodrow Wilson.
0: I'm not quite sure. So
2: he was a one-term president.
0: Yeah, I think it was.
2: And it, it was very, very similar to everything that happens, almost completely identical. People refused to wear masks. They wouldn't do it. And then when it started to get very, very bad, then it was, a, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do it now. And then once they started wearing masks, it all went away in about a year because there was no one left to infect. So after that brief period of time, I think it was 1919 maybe. And then you had the 1920s, so you had the roaring 20s -hmm. because the economy came back because now everybody could go out, they could work, they could go shopping again. So then began the roaring 20s. So I see a year from now, maybe six to 12 months from now, I see there being an economic recovery, but I don't think it's gonna, I do believe very firmly that there will be much more e-commerce, much more selective uh, shopping experiences. I don't think that everything's gonna go back to the way it was before. I think more people are gonna be using Zoom. They're gonna be working remotely. They're gonna be valuing their time more and not doing things uh, that they don't need to do. They're gonna be looking to online tools to cut redundancy and reduce uh, overhead. But I do think the, econ- the economy will rebound between six and 12 months from now.
0: Great, well, that's encouraging news for everybody. Thank you, Dave. That's been really Absolutely. good, really good.
1: thank you
2: kathleen thank you peter for having me i appreciate it
1: it's been wonderful thank you so much for joining us and thank you all so much for tuning into our show and once again we do appreciate those comments so please keep them coming and if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show please don't hesitate to reach out to either peter or myself and until next time take care everyone bye-bye
2: bye